Hello, welcome to the Healing of Emotional Wounds podcast series. My name is Alan Mulhern. Today we're going to deal with the natural vitality and potency of healing intelligence. We've given a general description of the healing process in psychotherapy. I now wish to reflect on the nature of the healing process. Ultimately, it is unknowable, since it is at the core of the life process itself. We do not know how life started on Earth, and thousands of experiments have failed to reproduce this unique event. Still less do we know how consciousness began in the life process. It seems as if it must be there in some form from the very beginning, as an awareness, the within of things, as Teilhard de Chardin has termed it. Those who wish to heal the wounds of others, or indeed of themselves, may ponder what this healing intelligence consists of. The most common answer to the question of how emotional wounds heal is that it is time that heals. However, this tells us nothing about what does the healing. It simply indicates that healing is an unconscious process, which of course, in many cases, it is. However, while it is true with time, healing intelligence may bring about considerable repair, there are many repressed wounds which arise again, sometimes many years later, completely fresh. Time does not, therefore, always heal. Others may reply that there is a bewildering variety of response to healing. Some people heal very well, others not at all. Others resist any healing while others go a long way towards it, but falter at some key point. These are accurate observations, but it is constructive to find out, firstly, which factors promote healing when it does occur, and secondly, which factors impede it. It is easily observed how those suffering emotional wounds usually require a human process of interaction to bring about some healing. For example, considerable reparation may occur if an offender offers sorrow or loving concern to the person he has offended. Comfort or love from another may assuage an emotional wound. There is a natural repair process in the psyche and clearly significant others facilitate this process, especially through loving interaction. The relationship between client and psychotherapist has elements of this. However, there are some wounds that cannot be healed by other people. The parent or ex-lover who caused the wound may be dead or unavailable. There are even some wounds originating in oneself. All emotional wounds inflicted externally trigger internal defences, and these defences can become part of the distortion and suffering of the psyche, that is, part of the wound. Since an external source of healing may not be available, then an internal one now needs to be found. Therefore, once again, we arrive back at our original question, except now it is sharpened. What is healing as an inner process? What happens inside the psyche when healing of any sort takes place? Let us suppose that whatever process happens in the outer world to promote healing must stimulate some inner largely unconscious process in the inner world that brings it about. The outer circumstances stimulate inner healing 
which because it is so unconscious usually requires external circumstances and people to promote it. However, once this unconscious process becomes clearer, then we may be able to carry it out in the inner world, independent of receiving love, attention and concern in the outer. In other words, we may begin to comprehend it as an intra-psychic as well as interpsychic process. Intra means within, so intrapsychic means within one's own psyche. Interpsychic means between different psyches, that is between different people, and therefore it is a social process. So we're attempting to look at the process of healing as an intrapsychic process. That is something that happens within the psyche, understand how it works, and therefore be able to bring it about somewhat independently of the outer process. Many psychotherapists, myself included, view the psyche in a dual manner. Firstly, as a system of interactive parts, sometimes opposing or complementary to one another. And secondly, as having an underlying integrative wholeness. Emotional wounds are usually within certain parts of the psyche. That is, they are localised, rather than being globalised. In the latter case, severe complexes or traumas can be generalised throughout the whole psyche, frequently immobilising or crippling it. It is a useful technique, and there are many others, to detect these localised wounds in the imaginal body. Emotions as they manifest in body centres, then therapeutic work can proceed. For example, expressive work, direct expression of pain and complexes, may be done, or in cases where this is not possible, then less threatening work, focusing on ego support, may be advisable. In some cases, transformative work may be accomplished by mobilising other areas of the psyche to alleviate or transform the suffering in one part of the psyche. In case this sounds strange... Consider what happens when one part of the psyche feels anger, but is modified or transformed by another part of the psyche, which generates forgiveness or compassion. This is the same transformative principle, is it not? One part of the psyche, very distinct from the other, effects some healing. The dynamics just described, and to be elaborated in more detail shortly, are part of the everyday working of the psyche, and they are largely unconscious. In psychotherapy or other disciplines focused on healing, these may be examined closely. Psychotherapy should be reflective upon its own dynamics in order that the practitioner can become more conscious, convinced and skilled in the healing and transformative entelechy. Entelechy is a word we've used a few times. It means the realisation of potential. It is the vital principle that guides the development and functioning of an organism, a system such as the body or the psyche. It is a Greek word used by Aristotle from en, which means within, and telos, which means end or perfection. Hence its meaning, the state of moving towards one's goal or one's purpose or towards one's true potential. Frances Vaughan, in her book The Inward Arc, published in 1986, makes an interesting three-part distinction between levels of psychotherapy with respect to their focus. 
be it firstly on the contents of consciousness, secondly the process of consciousness, or thirdly the context of consciousness. It is the latter, the context of consciousness, that emphasizes the relativity of the ordinary self-concept or the ego consciousness, instead promoting the context for healing intelligence to function. To make this clearer, imagine someone in psychotherapy who exclusively talks about preoccupations, plans, difficulties and desires. These are the normal contents of consciousness and the therapy, if it remains solely in these concerns, will remain at a very basic level. Next, imagine someone who is capable of looking at the way in which anxiety is formed, its triggers and origins. This is usually with the help of therapist who is skilled in these areas. And this is the process of consciousness, the way it works, the way anxiety is generated, for example. And this is clearly at a higher level since it is somewhat self-reflective, examining how the psyche works, how its dynamics function. Finally, imagine someone who can appreciate the very nature of awareness itself who learns how to activate and mobilize it. That is, working with the context of consciousness. I call this pure awareness, consciousness without contents, or without an analyzing process. This involves a suspension of the ego and its more rational functions. This is an activation of a pure self-awareness, like in meditation. Such distinctions might form the qualitative difference between different levels of therapy. The vitality of healing intelligence determines the capacity of a wounded area to heal itself. This energy may be thought of as a potency and is determined by nature and nurture, that is organic and environmental influences. Severe psychiatric conditions, such as the major psychoses, have strong hereditary components and may compromise this healing potency. Many practitioners have noted that biological factors underlie many character disorders and there is a great body of evidence that our DNA inheritance determines many psychological disorders. Many psychotherapists, especially those with medical training, have stressed how the psyche develops from the body soma. Indeed, serious physical illnesses can impede or prevent the reparative and restorative capacities of the psyche. Healing intelligence may be compromised, diminished or paralysed if any part of the body-soma platform is damaged. Apart from the biological foundation, environmental nurturing, especially early parenting, is also vital. Strong love and proper care are the foundations for the character to come. Healing intelligence, then, can be crippled or impeded by poor environmental nurturing or biological impairment. The opposite, therefore, is also true. A healthy, vital, psychosoma platform allows greater and faster healing. Haynes and Summer, in their book Cranial Intelligence, a practical guide to biodynamic cranial psychotherapy, write of Sutherland, who was the founder of craniosacrotherapy, to describe, quote, the felt experience of an inherent potential in nature and in the body that organises 
animates and communicates. Sutherland, they go on to say, used the image of potency as liquid light and the phrase the fluid within the fluid to describe his experience of this healing potency. He was very clear that expressions of potency are mediated through the fluids of the body. Other words commonly used alongside potency are tingling, shimmering, light, vibration, electricity, something moving and wind-like, like the wind in a sail, or the heat of the sun's rays, or the falling to earth of an object. We can perceive the effects of potency, but its actual nature is elusive. The potency of healing intelligence therefore manifests itself in numerous ways, although the thing in itself, the ding and sick in Kant's terms, remains elusive and even unreachable. The perceiving and contacting of this potency is not within the range of normal ego consciousness, but requires non-ordinary sensitivities, and some healers can reach them, and some healers can be trained to reach them. Many therapists have noted the contribution of certain character components to the process of psychotherapy. Theodore Reich commented that the primary prerequisite for psychoanalysis was moral courage. Jung also stressed negative moral components of character as detrimental to psychotherapy. But there are numerous character components which actively favour the healing process. Take two outstanding features of healing potency, expressiveness and receptivity, both of which are vital for healing intelligence to function well. Expressiveness is the capacity of the psyche, suffering a wound, complex or trauma, to express its pain in a healthy and effective manner. Generally, the more potent this is, the better the results for healing. Little healing can be done unless there is expression of the pain and emotion, either to significant others or to oneself. Most emotional pain is in the unconscious. Consciousness tends to avoid pain or repress it by one means or another. The bringing of the pain or wound to consciousness is the first step in the healing process, but it can, as a rule, be done more easily when it is expressed to another person and then reflected back to oneself for integration into consciousness. For this to happen, as previous arguments and case studies have demonstrated, it is best if the wound expresses its pain directly and without the impediment of everyday ego consciousness. Receptivity is the capacity of the wounded psyche to listen and to be open. This may be receptivity to criticism or advice from others, but it is also the capacity of the wounded area of the psyche to open, first of all, to consciousness. For this opening to happen, there is again the experience of pain, perhaps, for instance, to know and accept that one is wounded, but also that one has caused wounds to others, that one has been betrayed, but also that one has betrayed, that one has been let down or abandoned, but also that one has done likewise. Once this receptivity is increased, dramatic results may follow. At higher levels, one realises this dynamic is played out within one's psyche, in an intra-psychic manner. For example, one has abandoned parts of oneself. 
betrayed one's true self, ignored one's real feelings, adopted a mask and pretended to be someone one isn't. All for what? To avoid pain. Therefore, acknowledgement of this pain is vital to healing and transformation. Without it, no integration is possible. This newfound expressiveness and receptivity of the psyche is the vitality of healing potency. Numerous other characteristics are part of this healing intelligence and its potency. These include trust, self-belief, flexibility, the ability to meet and withstand emotional pain, determination, the capacity for hard inner work and emotional exploration, to value one's inner world, to be intuitively inclined, to open the heart, to love, to be humble in listening to and engaging with the symbols of the deep psyche. The opposites of some of these character components are infamous for the damage they can cause. Guilt, shame, deep self-doubt and despair are well known. Character components are formed in the mix of nature and nurture. Some seem given from the start of life as hereditary traits. Others can clearly be developed by training or conditioning. The culture of psychotherapy has lent towards the belief that love in early infancy is the basis of all positive character development and its lack is the cause of most negativity in the psyche. However, a part of character is constitutionally inbuilt into individuals and is relatively independent of environmental conditioning. A lot of recent research argues that a great deal of character is determined by hereditary factors. Moreover, complexes, wounds so to speak, or difficulties, distortions of the psyche, can cascade down generations due to this hereditability. In addition, character can also develop through adversity, including the deprivation of love, and wisdom can evolve through suffering. Character components can also be challenged and transformed during transformational work. Healing intelligence is integral, built into the complete functioning of the healthy psyche, just as it is within the body. While healing intelligence is an expression of the wholeness of the psyche, it is intimately bound up with numerous healthy character components, some of which are constitutional, some the result of early conditioning, some the result of training, and others self-forged. In our next podcast, we examine how the healing process in the psyche frequently requires the cooperation of consciousness itself, which, when orientated towards healing, is aligned to the deep psyche, learns from it, and can question it and engage in a healthy dialogue, which is transformative for both consciousness and the unconscious. This is Jung's Transcendent Function. I hope you can join me next time.